Welcome back to another episode of A Desi Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokwai, and the voices I am seeking may have never been heard before, but their stories deserve to be told. What is a Desi woman? She is a dynamic, fearless, and strong woman. She is your mother, your grandmother, your daughter, your sister. She is every one of us who is on an endless pursuit of self-empowerment and fulfillment. I am Sonia Gokhlai, and I am a Desi woman. Hello, and welcome to another edition of A Desi Woman Podcast. I am your host, Sonia Gokhlai, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you've tuned in before, it means so much to me that you found yourself here. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. Today, we are so excited to be joined by Shanita Liu. Shanita is a first-generation Indo-Guyanese-American who was born and raised in Queens, New York. As an encourager, transformational coach, Reiki master, medium, mystic, and chief energy officer at Coach Shanita, Inc., she leverages her top two superpowers, intuition and courage, to help people live victorious lives. Shanita is also the online course creator of Activate Your Courage to Increase Workplace Success and maker of Little Box of Courage, a 44-card deck featuring interactive techniques to become your most courageous self. All of this is an extension of Shanita's wildly popular 2021 TEDx talk, How to Activate Courage, which aims to help people access their courageous wisdom during scary moments. Shanita is a Fulbright scholar, artist, a veteran spouse, and mother of three. She is also an award-winning writer and has contributed to various platforms, including Forbes Women, Thrive Global, Medium, and Brown Girl Magazine, to name a few. Shanita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be in community with you today. Well, I am so excited. This is so long overdue. I think you mentioned before we hit the record button that we've been in in conversation for a year. And so, so (laughs) much has happened. Yes, so much has happened in that year. So maybe this is meant to be because I have to say, we want to offer the heartiest congratulations on the release of your new book entitled Dear Durga, which I will have a link to in the podcast notes. But before we dive into questions with you about your book and coaching, I like to start out my interviews with guests, many of whom are from the South Asian diaspora or another country of origin, about their immigrant roots and how that cultural duality has informed them and shaped them as a human being. I know that you identify yourself as a first-generation Indo-Guyanese American, so if you could elaborate more on that rich background We would so appreciate it. Yeah. Um, So I was born and raised in New York City, but my family, my grandparents and my mother, my siblings, my cousins all immigrated from Guyana in the 80s. And so I have a few generations of my maternal and paternal line in Guyana. But prior to that, tracing before that in the mid 1800s and before my ancestors were from India because due to Indian indentureship where Indians were transported on ships from India and they were transported to Polynesia, to the Caribbean, to other parts of Asia, to South Africa, 
you know, my ancestors landed in Guyana and were, you know, indentured for a bit until indentureship ended. And so that's where my Indian lineage comes from. And so as someone on the hyphenated identity, you know, I have a lot of Indian cultural roots. My religion is Hinduism and I practice that. But of course, you know, being West Indian, you know, our Guyanese music, food, culture is also so much ingrained in me. And, you know, I was born and raised in Queens. And so I'm totally Americanized and I totally have that piece of my culture that I honor and celebrate as well. Wow, that's so spectacular. I haven't heard that trajectory. And so we're going to be diving into questions about that and and all that you've outlined there. Now, I want to add that Dear Durga, a mom's guide to activate courage and emerge victorious could really best be described as part memoir and equal part self-help, but it is truly a go-to guide on overcoming the obstacles holding so many of us back from what we want in life across the full spectrum. And you write with such down-to-earth wit and warmth while walking us through the four phases of your courage kit framework that serves to help readers activate courage, align with your needs, alleviate stressors, and act with conviction towards your dreams. So that is all very well thought out. And I have to ask you, what prompted you to write this book and structure it in such a way that it's really a kit or roadmap for readers? Yeah, you know, so funny story, Dordga, who is, you know, one of the supreme warrior goddesses in Hinduism, she is the ultimate archetype for courage and victory over evil. She has been what I call my courage metaphor. She has been this representation of courage that you know, when I tune into my heart, she shows up and she's like, yeah, I got you. You're not alone. You're more than enough. I'm going to help you overcome the fears. And so in 2021, I had just had my third child. You know, the pandemic was still going strong and I was just trying to figure out my life. And for any moms listening, you know that having a child sends you into another identity crisis. <laughs> it's postpartum <laughs> stuff. So I'm trying to figure out my life. I'm trying to figure out the pro- trajectory of my business. And then Moz is like, you know, hey, you're going to stop what you're doing. You're going to go write this book. And I was like, I'm sorry, what do you want me to do? How about no? Like, we're not doing that. I can't do that. And so all of these fear-based mindsets started showing up. Imposter syndrome, self-doubt, you're not good enough. Who are you to write a book? What are you going to write about? Don't enough people know about courage at this point? And so I had to walk my talk and overcome some of the fears that were coming up for me and, you know, trust Ma and say, yeah, you know what? I am going to write this thing and it feels a little scary. I've never written a book before, but I am a writer and it's time. It's time for me to not only share this story of how I joined forces with a warrior goddess to overcome a lot of deep rooted fears and find fulfillment, but also to walk folks through a framework that I had been using with my clients for the last going on eight years. And so the courage kit you described is basically a four-part framework to help take folks through how do you call in your courage, how do you keep it alive, and how do you emerge victorious? And the word victorious, most of us associate it with like triumphant, victory over evil, or victory over something, but the word victorious actually means to be fulfilled. And I didn't realize that until I started the book journey. And I was like, how cool is that? That my courage archetype is a demonstration of just that. And that 
doing this courage work isn't just about getting through the scary times. Of course, that's important. But it's also about me walking away at the end of every day going, am I fulfilled? Am I victorious? Do I feel in alignment? Do I feel good? And so that was a really major piece that drove this process. And the courage kit, you know, you think about a STEM kit or arts and crafts kit or a jewelry kit, right? Or a beauty box kit. Kits are just ways for us to take something and digest it easily and come back to any time, you know, like a first aid kit that you keep in your car. It's there for you to turn to whenever you need it. And so I wanted that that metaphor, right, to apply to this framework that in this kit, you have like easy to use exercises that you can employ, whether you're in the restroom at your job when you're on your lunch break, or whether you are about to put your baby to sleep and you need five minutes of peace of mind. You know, these are very digestible bite-sized exercises that anyone from any walk of life can employ to help themselves feel courageous and emerge victorious. Well, I think that's really ingenious because it's a way, as you stated, to incorporate this in your everyday life because life is complicated. And so during the course of a day, as you stated, this makes it so easy to pull this out and have a process really that one can run through. But I think what I found really inspiring about this book is how open and vulnerable you are throughout it. And you share the highs and lows of your own life unabashedly, I might add. You mentioned that as a 19-year-old college student, you were struggling to understand your own ethnic identities and then applied to study for a semester abroad in India. And you mentioned that you are first-generation Indo-Guyanese-American, as we talked about at the start of this conversation, but you weren't clear on what any of your hyphenated identities meant. And so I was wondering if you could walk us through the journey of that bright, courageous 19-year-old to who you are today and how Goddess Durga has come to mean so much to you in this sojourn. And I think we were chatting before we recorded that what I find really remarkable about this book as well is that you have taken Hinduism and the prolific, renowned warrior goddess and made it accessible, which I think sometimes as a Hindu American, I have found the religion can be intimidating. It's a very complex religion. There's so many deities and gods, and they're all so incredible and powerful. But I feel an affinity after you writing about this and, and reading it. So already, here's one person that has now found herself drawn to Durga as a result of your work. So congrats on that. But yeah, would love to hear how that 19-year-old to where you are today and how you landed here. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, as someone, what I say in the book is I was a go through the motions Hindu, meaning that we would do these ceremonies and these things, but I didn't know what anything meant. And so, you know, part of the fear of writing this book initially was like, who am I to talk about Hinduism when I'm not well studied and I don't know all the mythologies and I don't know all the things, you know, I didn't grow up in the Mandir. I didn't. And so, you know, Durga was like, get over it. Hello, we're working together and you're learning as you go and you can at least encourage other people who are on their spiritual journey, religious journey, whatever that journey looks like. So they know that it's going to look like the way it looks like for you and that there's no right or wrong. Like this journey of courage is custom for you. And so, you know, that 19 year old, I wasn't supposed to study abroad in India. 
I actually completed a study abroad application to go to South Africa. And something like (laughs) the universe is funny. I realized I wasn't able to do the program because a summer internship that I had acquired, there was a timing issue. So they were like, you can't do this internship if you're going there and vice versa. So I was like, all right, this bites. Where am I going to go? Like, I've only got a few months left to submit applications. And I come home for spring break and an uncle of mine passes away. And he's my grandfather's nephew. And he was a very lively, energetic uncle, always making jokes, always smiling. And he passed in his, I want to say, mid-late 50s because he was sick. And I remember thinking, whoa, like, what is this thing going on in my family where, you know, men and women aren't living their lives fully or they're getting sick and what's going on here? I was like picking up on a theme that I saw to be true. And it was almost like his death was a catalyst for me to go deeper and to explore what I call like the double diaspora. I knew my Guyanese side, but I didn't know the Indian part. And I was like, I think I need to go and find out. And so as soon as I got back to campus, I ran to the study abroad office and I was like, is it too late to apply to the India program? They're like, no, it's a rolling deadline. I got all my stuff in. I must have been one of the last people to get into this program. And I want to say at the end of April or May, I found out I was going. And so that's what sent me to India in 2005. And I was in a souvenir shop just roaming around and I saw Dorga Ma on this postcard and she was amazing. And I didn't really know Dorga very well besides, oh yeah, she's like one of the statues, one of the Murtis that sit on my altar. And she was beaming. She was glowing. And I was like, oh my God, this is very special. I don't know what it means, but I'm going I'm to pick it up. And I picked up the Durga postcard. I also picked up another Durga postcard that I forgot I picked up. The nine avatars, right? Nav Durga. And then I picked up a bunch of other deities that I was familiar with. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I shoved this postcard in my stack of tchotchkes, keep it in my attic, keep it in my bookshelf, keep it wherever I keep it. And 10 years later, that's when she emerges. And so that courageous 19-year-old was coming from a place of curiosity. I didn't need to know what it all meant back then, but I followed something in my intuition back then. And I'm really glad I did because 10 years thereafter, she comes and she's like, I've been here all along. I've been waiting on you. And now that we're finally reunited or I'm here, like, let's work together. Let me help you. Call me in and I can support you. And I was like, but I don't know all the Hindu things. She's like, you don't have to. And and Dorga made connecting with her accessible to me. So this journey is a story about that. And then me being able to share with other folks. Yeah, guess what? She can connect with you too, if you choose to work with her. Wow, that is absolutely incredible. Well, I think one of the most striking acknowledgements for me in the book is how you have traced your own feeling of giving too much and perhaps neglecting yourself in the service of others as intergenerational trauma. And to elaborate further, you trace some of your ancestors to Indian indentureship, as you referenced earlier in our conversation. For listeners who may not be aware, during the late 19th century, Indians were transported on ships from the ports of India to the Caribbean and other regions of the world, only to be exploited on European plantations and 
abused by the British. It's something we don't often hear enough about. Essentially, indentureship was legalized slavery in action. And to quote the book directly, quote, while my ancestors learned how to survive the madness and eventually thrive, the residue of colonization lingered, end quote. This is amazingly insightful. And I don't think as immigrants or children of immigrants to this country, we talk about this concept of intergenerational trauma enough. And especially if there's a history of indentured servitude. So I was wondering if you could shed more light on how you were able to make those profound connections and then draw upon Durga and courage to transform this into strength and awareness. Yeah, you know, I didn't learn about it in school either. I think it might have been one line in a social studies textbook, maybe <laughs> in high school. And I actually spent more of my adult life, more, I probably learned more about my own lineage and ancestry in the last five years than I have my entire life. And yeah, it's, you know, very sad, right? Colonization imposed a lot of mindsets and behaviors on my ancestors that carried down and that trauma kind of continued on. And so I actually didn't understand it fully until I was able to name it. And I couldn't name it until I began engaging with community in New York City. And so there were a bunch of local groups and New York City is one of you know the highest populated Indo-Caribbean communities. And so connecting with other Indo-Caribbean women and folks I noticed that we all shared similar, similar things. And we were like, why is this thing about, you know, playing small, not using your voice coming up? Why are we, why is it so hard for us to advocate for ourselves? Why is it so hard for us to show up fully and unapologetically? We all realized that there was some kind of fear stuff that was swimming in our system. And I think being in community, we were all able to start talking and naming this indentureship history. And in the last five years, I got to give credit to a lot of platforms on social media who also began you know, digging into archives and starting to post pictures, videos, oral and written histories about indentureship, which also helped, I think, a lot of us shed light on what we came from and what was going on and how we could heal some of this trauma that had been passed down because we realize it's showing up in our lives. Our families moved to the United States for us to have more opportunities and yet there's still this paralyzing fear that comes up. And what is that about? And so being in community with others like myself really supported me with learning it. And then working with Dordga helped me overcome the fears, right? And say, okay, you know what? I'm going to make a different choice today. I'm not going to be people pleasing. I'm not going to be a perfectionist. I'm not going to succumb to this cultural conditioning that told me that I'm not supposed to ask for help, that I'm not supposed to set boundaries because I'm going to piss somebody off. And so as I was writing to Dorga, you know, Dear Dorga became the line that I started off all of these journal entries where I spoke to my through channeled writing. And, you know, that's where she was like, yeah, Yep, that that's not for you. That's not for you. And now it's your turn. Now that you know all of this, we're going to start disrupting those generational patterns because we want this life to be better, not just for you, but for your children and their children and the generations thereafter. So, you know, I think the combo of Dordga and community really supported me to get to where I am today. Wow, there's so much disruption and self awareness there. Disruption of 
uh, perhaps uh, we could even say negative patterns that have been learned and no good choices really in front of, of our previous generations. But you've turned that into self-awareness and I'm just in awe of that. Now, we hear a lot about imposter syndrome, and I think many of us suffer from it, regardless of who we are or how far we have come in our lives or careers. And you mentioned this in the book. You were really good at pretending to be courageous. You were part of JROTC, attained a highly coveted full tuition college scholarship. As a collegiate, you interned with esteemed corporations studied a semester abroad in India that you referenced, and you even procured a year-long Fulbright Fellowship in Hong Kong. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, such a humble individual in front of us, a Fulbright scholar. And as a working woman in the education nonprofit sector, you continued to sustain success after success. But underneath all, it, all of that, you mentioned you were merely pretending to be courageous. So what I really want to know is how did you actualize that courage with Goddess Durga? I think that toolkit that you referenced has probably comes into play, but I want to offer a quick note that while millions of Hindus around the world revere Goddess Durga, who is the epitome of courage and maternal protection, I would like to know how you connected so profoundly with this powerful deity and her energy, and how you suggest listeners and readers of your incredible book could do the same. Yeah, you know, I was all about the fake it till you make it. <laughs> I was an overachieving kid. And, <laughs> you know, no matter how hard things were for me, it was just, you know, well, I got to do it. And and there was also that first generation American pride. It was like, oh, you know, my family immigrated here. They worked so hard to get me where I am today. These opportunities, I cannot squander them. Like this life of mine is not in vain. And so I've got to do my darndest to really show up. And so you know, those accolades, those achievements, those were things that I could like check off the boxes around. But, you know, inside, especially once I got into the workforce, you know, I was overworked, underpaid, and I just didn't have my voice to advocate for myself. Or when I advocated for myself, I was often told, yeah, <laughs> sorry, you're not getting that promotion. Nope, we're not giving you more money. No, we're not going to give you a team to help you do 50 people's roles right now. And so I realized that I was being taken advantage of. And I noticed that pattern very, very distinctly in my family. I've seen that pattern play out before. And I was like, what is this about? And it took me sort of being in that dark night of the soul moment for Dorga to show up. And I wish I could be like, yeah, I just like went and found her because I knew what she was all about. I didn't. You know, she kind of showed up for me as I was on my own kind of resetting of my spiritual journey. I'd begun connecting, I think, a little bit more closely to Hinduism. I was meditating. I was trying to engage myself in all of this sort of self-care, wellness, self-improvement stuff that was kind of coming out in the early 2000s and thereafter. But, you know, she was just like, look, like, we're not playing around anymore, okay? <laughs> like, I got to help you out. And I could have easily said, no, you know what? I don't believe this. This isn't true. Bye. And I didn't. Because my intuition said, no, you need to roll with this. I, you don't know what this is going to look like, but she could really help you out. I mean, she's here. <laughs> she's here, right? So like, that's a good start. And so once she started connecting with me and sort of giving me permission to say, you could reach out to me, that's where I started to get her guidance and her support. And, you know, I think what changed thereafter 
was that the ambitions and the dreams that I had were no longer for somebody else's delight. And it wasn't about impressing everyone out there anymore. So my achievement became less external and working with Durga helped me get in alignment with what I actually wanted. And that's where my fulfillment came. And then the work became internal. And it's really hard in this day and age, right? We live in a digital age where like you post your picture to show everyone out there how well you're doing. And that's not what it's about. This one life that we have, this legacy that I'm leaving for my children, this notion of being a demonstration of courage. Sure, I want to share my victories with folks out there, but at the end of the day, it is for me. It is in alignment with my truth. And no one else out there can inform that. And so Dorga and working with her helped make that clear for me. And once I was in alignment with that, I felt like all of these other pieces of my life started to fall into place. Well, Shanita, I would assert that Dear Durga is an ode to the inner child in each of us, because as some reviewers of your book have stated, it is equal parts hilarious, honest, and soul-stirring. You're an amazing writer and very engaging. And for every person who has ever felt fear consume them, Dear Durga provides tangible tools to overcome the smallest and biggest life challenges. Now, what is even more groundbreaking, I think, about the book is that it speaks to the hearts of Indo-Caribbean Hindus around the planet with relatable anecdotes and references. And I want to ask you to walk us through these four phases that I spoke to previously and you identify in the book, which are activate, align, alleviate, and act. And just a little bit more about that framework, what readers need to do to prepare themselves for this journey of self-discovery. You do recommend that readers set aside a minimum of five minutes each day to integrate the tools in the kit. Because if they don't, you have a very witty comment to this, the book really becomes shelf help instead of self-help. But I would enjoy hearing more about this from you. And I would say that, look, five minutes a day, I mean, how much time do we waste on other things? I think this is an investment in oneself. And so, yeah, I just want to hear more from you about this. Yeah, thank you for that. Yes, you know, self-improvement is blowing up. And, you know, especially on social media where many of us, myself included, are guilty of doom scrolling, right? You might see that cute meme that's like, self-care means taking a walk outside. And it's like, it's nice. That's a great reminder. I needed that reminder today. But did I actually follow through? Did I actually take the walk? Did I actually get fresh air? Did I actually press pause and take a minute to breathe. And so I found myself finding it easier to, to tell other people how to do it or to see it posed again from external and not practicing what I was preaching internally. And, you know, so that first pillar, that first phase, activate. How do you get in touch with your metaphor? How do you take a breath, tune into your heart? And it might not be a warrior goddess, but it might be a mountain. It might be a tree. It might be your late great grandmother, an ancestor who's coming through, who's like, hey, I got you. I'm here because we are all supported. Like it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from. You do not have to subscribe to a particular faith because courage is universal. We all have this dynamic energy inside of us that comes from our heart and we all can access it. And I'm literally just walking folks through a simple visualization exercise to do just that. 
And then once I support folks with doing that, then the next phase is alignment. And it starts with one simple question. What do you need? What do you need? Did you ask yourself what you need today? I never saw my mother or my grandmother ask themselves that. And if you come from the South Asian diaspora, it's probably likely that that was not a question that was thrown out there, right? And so what do I need? I need rest. I need teamwork. I need adventure. I need, you know, I need to get away. (laughs) Like everyone's got needs. And we need to check in with ourselves to ask ourselves that very key question that we ask all the time in coaching when we're trying to get to know what's coming up for our clients. And so I'm just drawing from coaching tools that already exist to help folks pare that down, identify it and name it for themselves. And once you get clear on what you need, then you're going to be able to honor your own truth. And that's not easy because we are stressed, which then leads to alleviate. Okay, I'm stressed out. I'm depleted. I'm burned out. I ain't got nothing left. How am I going to do that? And that requires you to check in with yourself. How am I going to alleviate the stress that's getting my best? And I think that the reason why I make that joke about like shelf help is because often we're like told, here's all this self-care stuff you need to do. But sometimes self-care becomes this this chore. Oh, I got to self-care this weekend. And it becomes this thing. And it's like, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It can be really, really simple. And so I share all kinds of unique strategies and techniques that I've employed that have helped me carve out the five minutes that I need to take a breath when my three kids are wrestling with each other (laughs) on the living room floor, (laughs) you know, and just making it accessible to folks. And then last but not least, act. Like, how do you take action? Life is going to derail you. That inner critic in your head is going to say, you're not good enough today. How are you going to overcome that? And so I have some tools that I walk folks through to help them figure out what action am I taking and how am I going to set up my success team to get the encouragement that I need, whether it's from my courage metaphor or from my, from my friends, from my family, from my network to keep taking action, no matter how hard it feels. And so that is a framework. You know, even the word framework sounds really formal. Basically, it's just easy to use tools. Like it's a kit. It's a kit that you can take with you no matter where you go. And I wish I could be like, yeah, I've arrived. No, like I'm using from the kit every day, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a rinse and repeat kind of flow because you're going to need courage every single day because fears are going to show up to discourage you and disrupt your life every single day. Boy, that is so true. Unfortunately, part of the human experience. And, you know, you are nothing if not candid about how building a close relationship with Doga was a process not an instantaneous event. However, one tip you have in the book that really resonated with me directly from Dear Durga was, quote, organizations use them, and this pertains to manifestos. And what you encourage people to do is to really come up with their own manifesto. And listeners, you may not be aware, a manifesto is a written statement that offers an inspiring call to action. And here's the quote, organizations use them with their employees to get behind initiatives, but individuals can also use them. They don't have to be lengthy. No more than a page is usually sufficient. I think manifestos are remarkable because they're a way to declare what you're working towards, end quote. 
Now, I think it's a, an, an amazing concept, and I used it in my MBA class. Each of us were required to come up with a manifesto, and it really is revolutionary. It makes you rethink what's important to you in life. And so I would like to hear more about why you think this is important to you and, and why you included it in the book. That's so cool to hear that you were able to use that in graduate school. You know, I didn't really get familiar with manifestos until I was in the workforce. And because I was in the nonprofit space, that looked like the mission statement. What is the mission-driven work that we're doing here? And so I just realized, like, I need something to anchor me during this journey. Because you're right, it's not overnight. And, you know, working with Dorga, Dorga was a key piece of that. But Dorga is a warrior goddess in the ethers, okay? So like, I still am here in the 3D world. And I need 3D things, visuals, human beings, I need stuff to remind me day in and day out what I'm working towards. And so I think you know, the manifesto, it's it's literally a one-pager document. And anyone who's interested in in hearing it or or having it on coachshanita.com slash book, folks can download it for free. And it's basically just me writing like, hey, life is scary, but guess what? I've got my courage and I'm going to keep at it. And it's not going to look perfect, but I'm going to be okay. And that was all I needed to ground me. And I actually used that manifesto. I pasted it at the front of my notebook as I was writing the book, because as I was writing the book and putting everything together, it was hard. And I had fear swimming in my head going, is anybody going to read this? <laughs> are, you, are you sure you want to say that? And sort of had fear and the inner critic in my head 24-7. And so that manifesto was my visual to come back to, to remind myself, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am doing it. I don't care how hard it is. And we need reminders. We are busy. We're distracted. We got a million things going on. We all need reminders to keep us in alignment. And that was just one of many tools to do just that. But I also encourage folks to write their own. So feel free to use mine if you want as a reference. But what's most empowering is when you can call in your courage and create your own mission statement and something that feels true for you. I think that's such a great suggestion. And then, you know, take a look at it again. See if it's still aligned with where you are and what you believe in. And and just to reiterate again, almost every major corporation in the world and, and even not-for-profits have these to guide them in their growth and profitability. Now, I cannot believe that we are coming to the end of our time together. It has just flown by. But you are just such a humble and yet inspiring and accomplished trailblazer. And we want to congratulate you on all of your well-deserved success around this book and so much more with it charting on Amazon in a variety of categories. And just to reiterate, the book is entitled Dear Durga, A Mom's Guide to Activate Courage and Emerge Victorious. And I will have a link to the book in the podcast notes and really encourage everyone to grab their copy. But as we close out, I want to ask you, for anyone listening right now around the world who may be struggling with a life decision or challenge, what would you say is step one towards breaking down a seemingly insurmountable problem? How can someone begin to muster the courage and strength that's already inside of them to gain clarity about what's next? Ooh, I would say the first step is take a deep breath. <sighs> Because you cannot solve any problem if you don't breathe. <laughs> and I know for me, 
I know for me that when I was in panic, fear, anxiety, I was a habitual breath holder. And so I find that just taking a deep breath to clear your mind and heart is truly important. And once you oxygenate yourself, then I think the part two of that is tune into your heart. And that's where courage comes from. But I think often we're trying to problem solve when our brains are frazzled and fried and foggy. And there's a lot of wisdom in our body. There is a lot of wisdom in our heart. You know, that corny phrase, right? Like, follow your heart and everything will come together. But it's true. It's true because that heart of yours is in alignment with what you need and what feels good for you. And so connecting with your heart is really key. And of course, employing the courage activation exercise in tandem with that is helpful. But if you can tune into the wisdom of your body to support you with that problem, with that daunting task, with whatever it is that's about to go down, you'll be able to approach the situation with a little bit more clarity with a little bit more conviction and confidence, and hopefully with a little bit more courage. Wow. Well, we cannot thank you enough for joining us today, Shanita, Lou, and I know that our conversation is going to be so well-received by listeners around the world, and more importantly, your book. It is such a gift, and what you're doing with your life um, in the service of others is really inspiring. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for your feedback and thank you so much for having me. I wish that for all the listeners out there, for you to be courageous and emerge victorious. Uh, Love that. Thank you, Shanita.